goldfish <laughs> I have no control for fuck's sake <laughs> god help us two more living creatures into this house <laughs> oh my goodness what are their names Who, who's the goldfish oh well one of them's goldie of course I think the other's Sam Okay. I'm Sam, I am. All right. He's a fish. That's fine. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke, and this is episode 23. And today we're talking about Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, chapters 94 through 103. All day long. Next week, we're going to go through chapters 104 through 111, if you're reading along. Good to know. I'm going to start reading that tonight, so I should should know where to stop. Oh, it's an exciting one. I'm going to be reading over your shoulder the first chapter. <laughs> yeah, because this one just sort of ends. There's no real, like, kind of climax or arc to it. Right. So I never, I never really know, and that's one of the exciting things about this book. You really don't know what's going to happen. Like, you really don't. So before I get into the section summary, why don't you do the spoiler policy? Yep, absolutely. So the spoiler policy is very simply that we will not spoil anything past chapter 103 of The Wise Man's Fear. Liz has read these books several times. I have never read these books. So for me, all of this is new. So we will remain as spoiler free as we can possibly be. <laughs> So uh, this was an interesting section the first time that I read it. I think that I was a little more surprised by the appearance of Florian than you were. You know, we had been kind of talking about it, and I hadn't realized, but I had kind of from the beginning always assumed that Florian would be a real character in the same way that I assumed that when Quoth said he burned down the town of Traven, he burned down the town of Traven. So I assumed when he said he spent the night with Florian you know, when he came away with his life and his sanity, I assumed that that's, this is what we were going to get. And, you know, and it turns out that was a good assumption to make. So for listeners who haven't just read this section of chapters, a uh, quick recap. In this section, we talk about Quoth and his band leaving the bandits camp and they run into Florian. Quoth chases her into the Fae and manages to avoid being turned into a sex zombie by discerning her name. But instead, he turns into a sex god, and of course, real stud. <laughs> he learns about the Fey, the Moon, lots of other things. Innuendos <laughs> abound. Oh, she had that Camarillo Brillo. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it kind of was what I expected. I felt like it was a pretty interesting chat, you know, section overall. I mean, yeah. It was definitely some parts that were like, okay, Pat, all right, we get it. This is this is your kind of like own personal fantasy that you're going through. <laughs> and it's cool that you like chicks with ink dark eyes and butterfly eyelids. That's groovy. You know, but it, it didn't really bother me. I read some criticisms from a lot of folks who really were like, 
this is just too much and it's way warlock rock star sex god well that part of it's a little crazy like it really is <laughs> but for all we know every guy who ever ends up with Florian feels that way i i don't know or he's just the podrick pain of temerant there you go we don't know we, yeah it could be so that i don't know it didn't bother me too much the i think there's a lot of people who are like it's just it's so like explicit and i'm like no it's really not like if you go back and you and you read it like it's really not explicit you know it it's not it's not nearly as explicit and only half as uncomfortable as anything george rr R. martin has ever written in a sex scene it's a lot more explicit depending on the context of where you're reading it. I'm sure. Because I was taking our show notes outside of our daughter's gymnastics practice <laughs> at a picnic table <laughs> with all these other suburban moms in their visors <laughs> bitching about the after-school playgroup drama. You can't say visor to me while I'm drinking tea. <laughs> and I'm trying to surreptitiously write the phrase sex zombie in my notebook without <laughs> anyone seeing me. Might as well Felt tattoo it on your forearm. A lot more explicit then. <laughs> uh, visors. <laughs> Listen, I'm not I'm not a fashion expert, and I'm not here to cast judgment on anybody. But really a visor. Sometimes you want your face shaded, but the top of your head gets really hot. What are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. You're going to wear a visor. That's what you're going to do. Um, I don't know. I'd rather carry an umbrella than a freaking visor. <laughs> really. Legitimately. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, you know the most pointless thing the human race has ever made? Oh, this should be good. The visor that has the film see-through bill. Have you seen those? I've seen them. What is the point of that? What? I think that it has to do with poker. Maybe, maybe. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. But yes, anyway, much more explicit in that context. I'm with you. Exactly. Okay, so shall we get into our chapter summaries? Yeah, let's get into our chapter summaries. So chapter 94 is called Over Rock and Root. And that's pretty much it. They walk over rock and root. So if you remember last time, they were talking about you know, this map, this mysterious map that I still don't understand where the hell that came from. Right. And they were saying that, hey, we can shave like 12 miles if we make this cut through the woods. So they do. But what they don't realize is that in the middle of that, there is this huge, nasty, fetid swamp. And they end up having to work their way through that until they can get on the other side of it. And when they eventually do, and they come out of the other side... They hear singing, and as they they think it's an inn, but as they get closer, they find it's a pool of water. And who is sitting in the pool of water? Fucking Valorian. Fucking Valorian. For fuck's sake. <laughs> At least it's not fucking Denna. That's right. Thank if God. If it had been Denna, oh my God, I'd have lost my shit. We would have both. You would have thrown the book up in the air. Fucking Denna. <laughs> no. So it was Valorian in all of her naked glory. And that's pretty much it. And Quoth got there before Dayton did. That's pretty <laughs> That's <laughs> so, pretty much the chapter. A couple of things for me this chapter that stuck out were number one, hitting the swamp, I think was a nice reminder that they are 
off the edge of the map, even though they have a map. We talked about those inside edges, and this is definitely one of them. So this is all ground that is rarely trodden by humans. And so nobody thought to mark the fact that there's a swamp there. A huge freaking swamp, exactly. Yeah, which is why the road goes around. Right, exactly. But, you know. So there they are off the edge of the map. I also liked the sweet moment that happened between Dayton and Hespi. Yeah. Where she's wounded, but not super wounded, and she's still kind of, is kind of leaning on him. So you like seeing that grow a little bit. They're like the anti-Simon and Fella um, in that they're both assholes, but at least they're the perfect <laughs> assholes for each other. There you go. By the way, Dayton, in, I just realized, has to be played by Adam Baldwin. Nice. Right? I like it. Yeah. Or Billy Baldwin. No, not one of, you know who Adam Baldwin is, right? Oh, yeah, Not yeah. Alec Baldwin. I'm sorry. Adam Baldwin. Adam, who played Jane. Who played Jane, yes. Perfect date. Okay, we can yeah. still be married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we're all good. It's all good. And um, the third thing I noticed was that um, they find Valorian under the light of a... Full moon. Full moon. Full moon. So we always take note of the moon. Yeah, and then there's an explanation for that as we get towards the end. Indeed. So did you, anything else stick out for you with this chapter? Or? The, uh, the only other thing I noted is that Hespi, when she really needed to, was able to handle Dayton quite soundly. Indeed. Which I found to be pretty interesting. Right. You know, because we kind of marked that Dayton is not a pushover. He's, he's a loudmouth, but he's not a pushover. And Hesp, Hespi, however you say her name, was, you know, able to tie him up in a pretzel pretty darn quickly. You know, and then the only other thing to keep in mind is we he goes into chapter 95 smelling of nasty ass swamp. Untrue. Untrue. At the end of chapter 94, they find a stream. They change their clothes. Yeah, but they and they said they washed off the worst of the stink. Okay. Man, you ain't. Have you been in a swamp? (laughs) I don't think I have, actually. Yeah, you ain't washing. You ain't washing that out in a stream. I just found it interesting that time that like, oh, hey, Patrick Rothfuss made a point of saying that they stopped, they changed clothes, they bathed a little bit. Freshened up. Right. Tops and tails. Exactly. Whore's bath. (laughs) So chapter 95 is called. I'm trying to get all the like, I'm trying to set the tone for this. You know, like it's probably going to get a little raunchy. We should probably put a little extra warning. At the beginning of this podcast. So I'm getting all my Austin Power jokes out. Not if we have enough funny code names. All right. Sounds good. I mean. I have all the funny code names. <laughs> Later, do you want to peel the grapes? Oh, uh, do you want you want me to? <laughs> that actually sounds kind of. <laughs> do you take a moment? I don't know. <laughs> Can teach you all about the Cleveland Slug Trail? <laughs> Let's move on. (laughs) Chapter 95 is called Chased. Obviously, called this because Quoth is chasing Valerian. Yeah, Quoth decides, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity to learn something. And his reason for charging forward is he's like, this is a a fae. This is Valerian. I might never have another chance. The things that they could teach me, it would be amazing. So that's his rationalization for what he's doing. He runs off. He chases her. They embrace and like goddamn Fabio on the cover of a romance novel, he 
instantly knows exactly what to do. I'm like, is this what the sleeping mind is all about? People who are in the sleeping mind are instantly sex gods? Is that, is that what's going on? Instinct takes over and you're, you're like, I'm going to rescue the little man in the boat. <laughs> so that's the chapter summary. It's interesting because Florian is singing. They come upon her. And it's the same song that Dayton sang in his story days ago. So yep. right away, Quoth knows there's magic here. Mm-hmm. And not just magic, but singing magic, which is doubly interesting to him. Yeah. And we kind of get the whole gang's reaction to her. And Martin is afraid. He's like not even Mm-mm. looking really tempted. And Tempe is even really not looking too tempted. He's backing away. Dayton is looking very tempted and then subsequently unconscious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Hespi... Is that in this him. chapter? I that's know. in this chapter, okay, gotcha. yes. Okay. So, and that's all we see of the gang. Quoth is like, I'll see you in three days. Yeah. <laughs> Don't wait up. And off he goes. But I thought it was interesting because Quoth says he was drawn, but not so much that he couldn't resist. Yeah. So it's a conscious decision that he makes to follow her. And I loved this line. I wrote it down. She laughed a wild laugh. It was bright and delighted. It was no human sound. Mm. And these little reminders that the Fae look like humans, but are not humans. We kind of get those peppered throughout the yeah, series. absolutely. And then they have magic sex. Trademark. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Do you remember the Monty Python skit? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all I could think of this whole chapter. <laughs> and then she passed me the salt. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know what I mean? Know no. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I remember it well. I, I don't have a lot of notes about this chapter either. I really don't. It's pretty straightforward. So chapter 96 is called The Fire Itself. And that refers to Valerian herself, which at one point both says... Sleeping, she was a painting of a fire. Waking, she was the fire itself. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, yeah, this is where Quoth suddenly be- realizes, you know, after he wakes up from their crazy fantasy sex and he's sleeping in her tent or under her robe or wherever the hell he is. And um, he starts to realize, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And he needs to put together some sort of an escape plan. And here we kind of go through the process of what was going on in his mind, and he begins to play her music, and that sort of gets him kind of on some degree of a level ground. The chapter ends with him making the hint that he might have to go, and her kind of hitting him with the uh, sex hammer in the back of the head, the magical charm. (laughs) She, She whipped out her invisible, metaphorical female penis and smacked him in the back of the head with it. And he was, and then, but he he realizes she's using that sort of sexual charm when she wants to, and she can use it almost like a weapon, and him trying to kind of resist that. So that's really kind of what happens in this chapter. This this is a little bit more of an interesting chapter than the first two, which were just sort of kind of setting the stage for us. It is, because we begin to delve a little bit into a different kind of magic than we've seen before. Absolutely. And it's the magic of the sleeping mind. And the sex hammer. And the sex hammer. The hammer is my penis. (laughs) And it's different from the system that we've been taught. So it's it's cool to look at. So 
uh, you know, kind of breaking it down step by step, we have Quoth wakes up with wicked afterglow and (laughs) he's in Florian's thrall Mm -hmm. and it's a nice thrall and we get this description of her and she has butterfly eyelids and I'm, I mean, talk about unrealistic beauty standards. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to live up to that one. Right. (laughs) But, you know, what's interesting to me is how there are so many similarities between Felurian and Denna as as characters, how they're treated as characters. Mm -hmm. But I realized I don't have the same gut level dislike of Denna. And then I started kind of writing down all the similarities there are. Okay, they're both Mm. described as perfection they're the most perfect female they have the they're the manic pixie dream girl you know which you know normally when it for me when a female character is described in just these glowing nothing but positive terms it's it's just kind of boring because i feel like that's going to be a boring character so right away she's being described as perfection quoth does something stupid and reckless to get her Mm -hmm. Mm, yeah good point she acts selfishly according to her nature. And in fact, you could probably argue that Felurian is way more selfish than Denna because she actually lures men to their deaths. Oh, I I think Felurian is evil. Right. So, and he says, I've only met her, I've met her equal only once. And Quoth also rationalizes her behavior, but the rationalization doesn't quite hold. You know, like he rationalizes what Denna does. He also says, oh, but it must be so hard for her. All alone for thousands of years, but I'm like, aren't there other Fae? Like, well, that's exactly hello. Like, yeah, that's exactly my next wrote that I have written down. It says, "quote She was so lonely. Uh, excuse me, she was lonely from time to time. If she wanted companionship, she had to seduce and lure." To which I wrote, "Why uh, right. are there no other Fae around?" And we know there are. So either they are, and she just enjoys torturing men humans or there aren't in which case is she like banished you know from like face society or something like that i mean and she may be because we know in later chapters she talks about different courts different fae people yeah that yeah. is in this section right i didn't spoil it that. is no it is no, she yeah. talks about all the different she talks about being in different cities mm-hmm. all that kind of thing so we know that there are other peoples out there in fae now but then again, we realize we only get a tiny smattering. So we don't know what led Felurian to live by herself in this glade. We also know that Felurian lives very close to the mortal world compared yes. to the rest of her kind and seems to be less shy because we hear stories of her. She's legendary in the mortal world. So whatever happened to her to cause her to live that close to the mortal world and disassociate from her own kind... We don't know. But we do know that once again, and for me, this is, I guess, what separates her from Denna, is that when he describes the Fae and her in particular, he stresses that she does not understand right and wrong for her. Yeah, that's in the next chapter, which I- I'm kind of done with this chapter, so. Sure. Do you- Yeah, he calls her ancient and innocent and powerful and proud. And for me, that's what's different. Denna is human, and it's very clear that She knows what she's doing is wrong and hurts people. She doesn't feel like she has a choice, so she does it anyway, or her goal is more important or whatever. But for me, that's what separates the two. Yeah, understandably. So what's the title for for 97? 
97 is called Blood and Bitter Rue. Hmm. And, and so this is where really sort of the confrontation between the two of them really takes hold. And Wizard quote, battle. It's very wizard battle, right? And Quoth, you know, gets angry that she's attempting to control him. And he recalls a horrifying scene back in Tarbian, which allows him to kind of summons up enough anger to sink into his sleeping mind where he is able to once again summons the name, call the name of the wind and really to imprison her. Uh, but he, at the end, he lets her go because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to kill her and just sort of sits there and kind of mopes. Right. So do you want to go through what you've noticed from this chapter first? So this is where I started really kind of thinking about who is she, you know, and this is, and, and just like you said, I, I, um, I noted where he said that Florian's not evil, she's fey, and that that means she's pure desire and pure innocence. And I thought, you know who else is pure desire and pure innocence? A child. But she's like a child with a magnifying glass on an anthill. You know, like, I'm I'm not buying this idea that she is just pure innocence and desire. You know, and she's treating humans like they're pets. But, if you and I knew a human who went out and kept buying, you know, Great Danes and German Shepherds, and then two months later they were dead, after 10 or 15 dogs, don't you think we'd start to be like, do <laughs> like, something's fucking wrong. Like, they're not, they're supposed to live longer than that. You're, you're doing something wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. You know, like, the, you know, she knows what she's doing. She knows it leads these men to death, and she keeps doing it anyway. So, you know, unless there's more going on, I can't. I have a hard time seeing that as anything other than evil. Unless whatever part that we have that knows right from wrong, the Fae don't. They have completely different moral standards. I could buy that to a degree. Do you see Bast doing something like this? That is a hard question for me to answer. Okay. Without spoiling stuff. Okay. I mean, I don't. I see Bast as somebody who, you know, recognizes when to help the neighbors to break the fence again, you know? He's also been partially raised, I think, by Quoth, though, and True. mentored and tutored by him. True. And I think we'd need to see more of the Fey world. Yeah, I but mean... But even if this is normative behavior... I'm looking at it from the perspective of somebody who's a human. And in my eyes, that's just evil behavior. That's an interesting perspective. I don't know if I agree with you or not. Yeah. Well, and like, and I don't want to be clear. Like, I don't mean like bloodthirsty, out of her mind, not, not trying to like say that she's, you know, entropy She's not Chandrian, you know, she's not out, you know, to be as vicious and evil as she can because we spent some time with her and, you know, but I think her callousness towards human life to me is an act that is evil. Not to say that she is evil. I think we could go back and forth about this for a long time, but... We'll marmalade it up. I think it's marmalade. Fair, fair point. So some things that I found interesting... 
first is that so we've got both and they're they're basically locked in this mental battle of wills. And the moment that he gains mastery, the moment that he is able to awaken his sleeping mind and see her name Mm -hmm. happens when he stands fully in his identity. And the quote that I wrote down was, I gathered the pieces of my mind and fit them all together. I was quote the trooper, Edema Ruborn. I was quote the student, Relar under Elodin. I was quote the musician. I was quote. And we've talked a lot about the theme of identity, and this really speaks to that for me. Yeah, absolutely. And the power of knowing who you are and being who you are just comes up over and over again. And I think we see that really in a big way here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're right. That's a good point. And something I didn't pick up on. You know, I think it's important to know who you are. I also think it's important to know who the person that you're sleeping with is. <laughs> I do. And it's in that vein that I have created a little quiz. Oh, great. Okay. It's a quiz. This is Okay. To say is my girlfriend a psycho hose beast, or is she just a sex crazed demon fay? <laughs> it sounds like a useful quiz. It could be, right? So I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to give you one of three answers. Okay. Each of those answers has a point value. All right. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna go through and we're gonna play the game here. Okay. So after marching for hours in a dank, fetid, rotting swamp, does your lover, one, tell you to take a shower, two, make you stand naked on the porch while she sprays you with cold hose water and throws scrub brushes at you, or B, or excuse me, or three, does she writhe beneath you lithe and languorous? Or languorous, excuse me. Obviously, she writhes beneath me lithe and languorous. Mm, Three points for you. Hold on to that. Okay. So when making love... Does your lover set the mood by putting out candles, soft music, and lingerie? That's that's one point. Two, by setting out a bucket of KFC, Led Zeppelin four, and an air mattress in the back of her pickup truck. Say no more. <laughs> I don't even need to hear the third one. Okay, fine. <laughs> but tell it to me anyway. Oh, okay, okay. Or does she, does three, does she uh, create a haunting melody and lyrics in a tongue no human ear can understand? Oh, nice one. All right, so two. So you got five points so far. All right. Okay. So when she touches you, do you feel, one, warm, loved, and safe? Two, exhausted, sore, slightly humiliated? Or three, like a lute string tuned too tight and breaking? I don't even know. You don't really have to answer. (laughs) Okay. I'm just reading them. No, I need to know. Uh... I'm going to have to go with the lute string on this one. Lute string? Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So her eyes, are they like, one, two pools of starlight inviting you home? Two, like tiger's eyes, ready to pounce? Or three, are they blue within blue, as dark as ink, iris pupil and all, with eyelids made of butterfly wings? A. Okay, gotcha. So so you have nine points, I think, so far? Yep, okay. Is her voice like, one, she sounds like a woman. Two, 
she sounds like a sailor, only drunker and slightly higher pitched? Or three, does she speak soft, high, and clear, entirely in lowercase letters, her voice carrying equally across a small room or an immense canyon? Uh, lowercase letters for the win. For the win. <laughs> and nice catch, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I just caught that this time. The through. lowercase letters? The lowercase letter thing. I was like, why isn't lowercase letters on Except with her out. name. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. When she's using her own name, mm. she will use the capital F. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So the first time you made love, was it like one, sweet, innocent fumbling, exploring each other's bodies as you get to know each other? Was it like two, angry? Or was it like three? You were instantly a lovemaking expert, the kind that only lives in romance novels. You came seven times, all this despite being a virgin. Uh, three. three. There you go. I learned it from books. <laughs> all right. When you have to go and leave, does your love, one, send you off with a kiss, two, quietly slip a tracking bug in the back of your car, or three, hit you with magical fairy power that makes you forget that you have a job, a family, a life, or even free will? Oh, three for sure. Clearly. So that means that gives you 17 points. Okay, so I'll read you the legend. Okay. If you score between seven and nine points, you lucky bastard, marry her already. If you score between 10 and 11 points, perhaps consider dating for a little longer. If you score between 12 points and 18 points, call the police, make a will. If you score between 19 points and 21 points, sit back, relax, enjoy it. You're going to die anyway. That was a beautifully done quiz. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well done. Chapter 98. I actually have some more kind of interesting thoughts about Chapter 97. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. It was not my intention. It was a good quiz. I'm just so worried that I'm a psycho hose beast. You're not. See, we took the test. (laughs) Did you take the test? I wrote the test. (laughs) Before we move on, I just want to go back quickly to this theme of identity that we were talking about and what happens toward the end of the whole wizard battle. Mm -hmm. So Quoth and Florian are going at it. They're having a battle of the wills. Quoth stands in his identity, really puts the pieces of himself back together, which we don't see in him very often in his life. Mm -hmm. Quoth is a very compartmentalized character. He's an Edamaru when he's a child, but he doesn't talk about that part of his life when he becomes a student. He doesn't talk about his life in Tarbian to anyone. There's all these little boxes that he keeps himself in. And so that makes me wonder, is that part of what his problem with the sleeping mind has been? Because as soon as he puts them all together, his sleeping mind just unwakes. That could be. Your point about him being compartmentalized is is very accurate. And we've talked about that in other chapters where he's, you know, he has kind of lived a life in stages. And in those stages, he was different people. So that's a good point. Did I say unwakes? I don't, I didn't hear you say that. Is that a word? I'm so tired. I didn't hear you say that word. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm sorry. Moving on, though. So Quoth has this wonderful moment and his power kind of opens up Mm -hmm. and he sees himself for a minute reflected in Florian's eyes. And it says here that his power rode like a white star upon his brow. 
And this is really significant because if you go back to the name of the wind and when Scarpy is telling the story about when Aleph made the Amir, he says the fire settled on their foreheads like silver stars and they became at once righteous and wise and terrible to behold. And I don't think that's a coincidence, that no. imagery being exactly the same. And I, I remember, you know, when you said that, I remember the reflection part, but I, I didn't catch the white star point. And I'm disappointed that I didn't catch that. Well, it was a long time ago, but in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely, didn't re- I definitely didn't remember it. But usually if I see something that's out of place, I'll go back and I'll try and look for other instances of that. And right. that just didn't didn't catch my attention well and this isn't the first time that quoth has been compared to an amir we've seen it a few times we've seen simon saying that he's like one of the amir because he likes to do what is right we've seen ori compare him to one of the amir when she sees him with blood on his hands so there's definitely some very heavy hinting that yeah absolutely quoth and the amir are tied or maybe one day he's going to be recruited by them or Either way, their content, their destinies are tied together. Yeah, and we've made that observation before, perhaps not as directly as this. Right. But absolutely. No, it's a good catch. I'm glad you brought that up because I did not catch that. So chapter 98 is called The Lay of Florian. And in this chapter, Quoth figures out how to play the greatest player of all time, basically. Yeah, he does. So... This is sort of the denouement after the giant wizard battle. And they sort of, now they're kind of on even ground. Nobody's trying to throw magic at at anybody. And they just sort of start kind of talking. And Quoth, you know, realizing that she's interested in songs, comes up with a way to use songs to kind of free himself, where he he starts singing songs about her that aren't, really as good as they should be. And then he composes this song on the spot that the beginning of which is really quite phenomenal. And he ends it with the lines, her skills and love, they do suffice. In close embrace, men find her nice. And rightly, you know, she is quite upset about this. He uses his virginity as some sort of shield and says, but how am I supposed to know? Isn't, isn't it always like this? And he sort of manages to trick her into willingly letting him go so that he can, you know, find out just how much other women pale in comparison to Felurian and finish the song and come back to her. And we can go back to the very beginning of The Name of the Wind when Chronicler does the same thing to him, and now we understand when Quoth says, so, you would use my best trick against me. <laughs> and now we understand what he meant by that. Yeah. And that's a good one. It's a good trick. It's a good trick. It's pretty masterful how he manipulates her. Yeah. Felurian reminds me a lot of the Fae in Jonathan Strange. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Which is why, again, her actions don't bother me as much as Denna's. Because whether or not you would categorize her as evil, certainly destructive and careless, but it's like comparing two different animals completely. That's fair, yeah. Well, yeah, Denna was raised, at least we believe, you know, in a human society around humans, she is a human. 
she we would think she has human values less of a reason for her to have an excuse now she also probably doesn't have a body count like Florian. <laughs> probably but but you're but i get your point i get your point so chapter 99 is called magic of a different kind yeah and so here is where quote goes into a long sort of conversation about his deliberately crafting his reputation and then he he realizes suddenly that he's not in Tamarin anymore. Like, he wanted to run away. He's not even in the same world. And then he realizes he's got to find a different way to kind of get out of there. Uh, we get into a lot more of Felurian teaching him about, about sex. Um, and then he starts asking her all kinds of questions about other things like the Amir and magic and the Chandrian. And she answers them as best she can, but she will not talk about the Chandrian. She will not talk about the Chandrian. She will drive him out with brambles and snakes. Brambles and snakes. That's like me when my kids want to start discussing what their Halloween costumes are going to be. <laughs> In April. And it's only April. <laughs> I will drive you out of here and brambles and snakes if you bring up Halloween one more time. Don't do it again. <laughs> I will chase you to the gate bloody. So again, it's interesting. Quilt begins this chapter reflecting on how this is the moment that he begins to become what he has been pretending to be. And again, it's this theme of identity and who are you and how do you know who you are? One of the things that I liked uh, about this is I enjoyed the part in the beginning where he was talking about the idea of crafting his reputation and crafting stories. And he talked about the idea that even though everybody knew that most of the stories about him weren't true, there was enough truth in them that people would still continue to tell all the stories. And in the telling of the stories, you know, because when you're the person telling a story, you... You know, you have to kind of put yourself in the role of the believer for a little while. People would start to believe the stories, you know, and that was just an interesting part of it to me. You know, I like the comparison that he made there. And if you think about it, you know, when you're in the position of being a storyteller, you have a little bit of power over the person, the group, the crowd you're telling the stories to, you know, but him being the person creating his own stories he holds a little bit of power over the storytellers and that over time, the stories sort of become their own truths. That's a really good commentary. I had never thought of it that way, but yeah, I think that's exactly what he's saying. So yeah, I like that a lot. But then it's interesting because he goes through that whole thing and, you know, he's talking about how, you know, he traded a demon, a cup of blood and there were fairies who, you know, blessed him in the womb or not in the womb, but you know, in a nest or whatever. And he said, but there were no demons out there bargaining for blood and there were no helpful fairies granting magic charms to which I say, really? Because <laughs> it seems like there are. Right. Seems a lot like there are. Right. And this is the chapter where Florian starts telling him sort of piecemeal about the world of the Fae. And I think it's interesting that he, when he asks her about the Amir, she says... There were never any human Amir. Those were like children dressing in their parents' clothes. Mm -hmm. So right there, we kind of learned that there were some non-human Amir yeah. to begin with. And it also is interesting because this gives us an explanation for why Quoth 
isn't going and exploring the rest of Fae. Because apparently whatever Florian has told him is enough to make him realize that that would be incredibly foolish and dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Because apparently the the Fae are all batshit crazy. Sounds like it. If they're all like her, they sure as hell are. Completely bonkers. Well, and it, it talks about a lot of petty arguments and... If you walk in here and you're carrying only one of this kind of animal, it's an insult. But if you're carrying two, it's fine. And, you know, things that you would never in a million years be able to guess as a human. But she does teach him all kinds of cool sex moves. The hushed heart, the pinion wrist, the chocolate starfish, the blumpkin, (laughs) the chicken head, the bedroom rodeo, the beating guts, the Camarillo Brillo. The assault with a friendly weapon. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I know. I, I mean, you get where I'm going. The one thing I did like, though, is that he starts asking her other questions about other things. And he says, you know, as great a teacher as she was in the ways of love, eh, she really wasn't that great of a teacher when it came to other things, which is cool because, you know, if she was, you know, teaching him all this, and she was also, you know, all these other things, I would find that somewhat, you know, unrealistic. Right. So I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, she is just piss poor when it comes to, to being able to take herself outside of her feyness to be able to try to explain something to him. She can't do it, you know? And then that makes me reflect on characters like Galadriel from, like, The Lord of the Rings who were... That's a Mary Sue, like good at all things all the time forever. And it just kind of shows you a difference between, you know, some of these different kind of fantasy ideas of mm. the elves, the fae, et cetera, and different ways that people kind of hold the characters. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I like at the end of the chapter, he talks about how people try to liken humans and fae as being like dogs and wolves. Yeah. He said, but that's not even a good comparison. Humans and fae are more like water and alcohol. They look the same in the glass, but they're completely different. And one will burn and one will not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just a a good way of, of putting it. And I like the way you compared it to the Fae in Jonathan, the Jonathan Strange world, mm-hmm. because that's probably one of the most similar. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's where they come up with the Chandrian, and she's, she makes him, uh, she, she says she will not talk to him about it. She swears on it by the power of salt and stone, by the power of her vagina, by the power of her queef. She will not, <laughs> she will not talk on this thing. It's very interesting, because we've certainly seen a lot of refusal to talk about the Chandrian in the mortal. Yeah. Now here's a being as old and powerful as Valerian. And she's not and even. And she's terrified. Yeah. Clearly. Which that. That says something. It does. That really says something. And uh, you know. If if I can't get out all my stupid sophomoric sexual innuendos in this episode. Where are you going to get them Then out? what episode can I get them out in? <laughs> so if I'm being over the top for you. <laughs> it's the Felurian episode. It's all right. Cut me some slack. <laughs> so chapter 100 is called Shade, obviously, because in this one, they make a shade. They make a shade. S-H-A-E-D. So Felurian is concerned that, quote, well, initially she's concerned that he won't come back. Then she starts to be concerned that he won't 
make it back. Right. And then she says, I have to give you a gift. And so she goes through all these explanations of why she wants to give this to him and how he is a creature of the night and he's the long walker, the deep thinker, but he's not a warrior. So she wants to make this object for him. I thought it was interesting. She said that she would, for other people, she would give them this gift. She would give them that gift. But to Quoth's knowledge, only a handful of men have ever come back from Felurian alive. And they all died of insanity shortly thereafter. So who is she giving these gifts to? Now, it could be people that have just escaped history and she's going back, you know, many hundreds of years. Or it could be that these are people that we simply don't know about for whatever reason. They were smart enough to keep their mouth shut. Or it could be that she's talking about other fae. Right. Don't know. But that was something I kind of noted and and felt was interesting. And then they go into the woods and they're in like the darkest. Oh, the other thing I noticed is when she starts to talk to him about the shade and begins explaining why she needs this or why she wants to give this to him, she begins to speak in rhyme. Right. Which up to that point she had not done, or at least not that I, and I went through and I read it again and I didn't see it anyplace else. It comes up in like two areas and it's when she's talking about really significant things that she begins to talk in rhyme. Yes. So they go out into the woods in this incredibly dark place. Florian knocks him down, uses some sort of crazy fuck magic while they're in the forest to pull something from him. It seemed like this was related to what she was doing with the shade to bind it to him would be my guess, but it could have been something else, but it seemed like a very personal thing. And they go off into the woods and then she begins to get to a place where there is a little bit of starlight poking through. She plucks it out of thin air and creates something for him. So that's the summary. I went a little too long on that. So the way I understood, now I'm glad you said that all that because the way I understood it was they're walking through this glade. Quoth tries to do sympathy and he draws the attention of something. We don't know what, but as soon as he does the sympathy, Florian's like, dummy tackles him and they feel the presence of this, this thing like hovering and she sucks the breath from his body and fills his lungs with her breath. And for a second, his heart stops. And then the thing goes away. Wow, that is not at all what I caught. Because I read that, had to read this very carefully a lot of times I'll have, to figure I'll, out what was going on. Yeah, I want to go back and read the order of it because I took the order to be different. I took it to be that this he noticed this thing as or after they were having sex. But so I, I thought it was a part of something she was like summoning, but, but I like your idea that. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a reaction to him. He thinks he's being cute. He's going to summon up this. Well, he couldn't see a damn thing, you know, a light for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as he does that, she's like, so, you know, he hasn't tried sympathy here. No, he hasn't, yeah. And apparently it's not something that's safe. Mm, that's interesting. I had not seen it that way at all. Okay. Well, that's exciting. So one other thing that I found was significant here and just a nice little piece of storytelling was Quoth is sitting there kind of ruminating on how when his sleeping mind was awake, he felt so alive and he's feeling kind of sad that it's not 
doesn't seem to be coming back to him. Mm-hmm. And Florian kind of s- turns and says something to him about the shade. And she says, sometimes slow seduction is the only way. The gentle shadow fears the candle flame. How could your fled- fledgling shade not feel the same? And I feel like she's also yeah, talking yeah. about his sleeping mind at the, at the same time. Yeah, that could be. The other thing I noticed in here is, so Felorian takes uh, Starlight, plucking it out of thin air. And then he says, I saw her hands make a familiar motion. Then later, he says, again, the motion struck me as familiar, but it was nothing I could press my finger to. And the only thing I could think was back to Denna and Elodin when they talk about the idea of Yilish braiding or knots or things of that nature. And she talks about, Denna says, is there some sort of writing magic? you know, that can make things like that happen. And I wondered, is she writing things into, writing symbols into this shade? Is it something along those lines? Elodin made a kind of braiding motion when he talked about the Yilish and their sort of system. It's the only thing I can think. No, I think if you go back and read that again, you'll see that he says at some point that he recognizes the motion that she's making as it reminded him of his father sewing. And that's when he realizes that she is sewing with the starlight. Oh, he does say that. So I think that's the familiar motion that he was talking about. Yeah, you're right. I do that sometimes. That is way more mundane. <laughs> you were going full tinfoil on that one. I feel robbed. I just brought you back down. I'm sorry. I feel, I feel very tinfoil robbed. We really want some Yillish nods to like come to fruition in this story. I do. There's something. There's something there's there. Something there. So no, I don't think it's here, but it's what somewhere. the hell it is. Thought maybe they got that from the Fae or something. So chapter 101 is called "Close Enough to Touch." I, I called it "Make Me a Sandwich." <laughs> Because all that happens in this chapter is it quoth explains that he there were some things that he could remember. Make me a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. What? (laughs) So anyway. He explains that there are some things he remembers very clearly and other things that he can't remember at all. For instance, it was always light in her tent, but he never remembers there being a candle. He remembers eating, but for the life of him, he can't remember where any of the food is. You know, he also talks about, I don't know if it's in this chapter, but um, it may have been the last one, about the, actually, I think it's the next one, where he talks about Grammary and... this one, yeah. Okay, and I forget what the name of the next one is. Glamoury. Glamoury. And, you know, the idea of making a glamour that changes what people see, you know, and it's like, okay, is is it that he can only remember that because he was under a glamour? I mean, would that shock you? Not at all. Were there other people around providing food and things and she just kind of made it so that he couldn't remember that? Who knows? Don't know. But, yeah, it's a short little chapter and that's kind of all that that he, you know, kind of talks about. I thought the tidbits we learned about Fae and about the magic system were interesting in this, Mm. particularly how we learned that the Fae realm is divided into nightward and dayward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that Florian lives right in the middle, it seems like, right in twilight and very close to the mortal realm, as we've said before. So Mm -hmm. it does make you wonder 
why it is that she lives by herself right smack dab in the middle of this realm without talking to any of her own kind. Apparently. 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 As far as we know. Yeah. So chapter 102 is called The Ever-Moving Moon, and we get some interesting information in this chapter. Yeah, here's this is a good chapter. This is one of, one of my, the chapters I enjoy the most. So here is where Florian explains that even though the skies are different, they share the same moon. And she walks through and gives a good description of exactly how that is and the history of how that came to be. Um, and then she also talks uh, a little bit about how you can get trapped in the Fey and realm, and she drops the titular line. <laughs> the real one, not that bullshit that <laughs> old Moneybags was talking about back in Imray. The kind of bullshit red herring titular line. Mm-hmm. This is the shit, the real shit. <laughs> Finally get down. I knew that was bullshit back then. Mm-hmm. Damn it. So yeah, that's the chapter summary. so we've been leading up to this information i think for a while all these hints being dropped about the importance of the moon absolutely and then we had hespy's story of jacks which felt significant but we didn't know why and here we get florian's version of that story and the fey version has a whole nother layer of truth to it absolutely because florian was actually alive we gather when all of this went down which poses a very interesting question but go ahead so basically Florian just quick summary because this is all I feel like important information Florian tells him that before there were men and Faye there were just there was one one, world one world yep and in this world there were those who had their eyes open who knew the deep names of things but they weren't namers they weren't trying to have mastery Then there came knowers who thought of mastery. She called them the shapers and the dreamers. And there was only one world, but these shapers could, I'm assuming, through something similar to grammary, but they could create things. And it's interesting because we hear of Florian talking about being in a city and eating a fruit and seeing and being around other people. So we know that she was at one point living in some sort of society, Mm -hmm. not just all by herself, naked in a glade. And this is apparently before the Fae existed. Exactly. And yet, there she is. Exactly. So it just gives us another idea about how old Florian is. Yeah, this is the other time that she talks in rhyme. Exactly. So we know that this is important. And I think that this story is going to become very crucial to this greater mystery that's going around. So there's one world, the shapers made the Fae to sort of be their little playground, and they each made a star. But the greatest shaper of them all didn't just want a star. He wanted the moon. So he drew the moon into the Fae world, but not entirely. It still goes back and forth. So we we heard our the mortal version of the story of Jax who fell in love with the moon, who trapped part of its name in the box. Now we get this version of the story. And the quote that I wrote down here is when he asks about the greatest shaper and who was he? And she says, I will not speak of that one, though he is shut behind the doors of stone. Yeah. I put a big asterisk next to that one I as bet well. you did. Yes. So, and then she tells him that he needs to come back on the full moon because if he comes back on the dark moon, he could get trapped. We also learn that 
Things that protect against the fae are iron, fire, elm, ash, copper, knives. And we also learn, interestingly, that the fae shed some of their power when they go into the mortal. Yeah, absolutely. She says that, which is why she says not many of them do, and the ones who do know how to be unseen. You know, yeah, and I like that. I really enjoyed the description of, uh, she said, when the moon is full, the thousand half-cracked doors that lead between my world and yours are opened. You know, and that, to me, that's where all the waystone graystones are. And that motherfucker trapped behind the doors of stone is behind the four-plate door in the lackless compound. Interesting. There is a lot of speculation that the lackless door is the doors of stone. Hell yeah, they are. And I, I think that's a good speculation. That's my speculation. Yeah. So who do you think the greatest of the shapers and namers is? I don't know. Because that's I a good question. If we go back to the story that Scarpy is telling about the creation of the Chandrian, they talk about when before Lanray turned became Haliax. Yeah fighting a battle and locking an enemy behind the doors of stone. I believe. Really? I believe. Ooh, I'll have to go back and read that. That's just occurring to me, and I'm pretty sure that's true, but I didn't double check before the podcast. Mm, but I'm pretty sure again. that's true, and he is that um that Lon Ray locked some enemy behind there. Mm, okay. Because I think some people feel, and, and I think at, at least at some point I felt like, well, maybe Haliax is was this one. But we know that he is only about 5,000 years old. Uh, he's also not trapped. Exactly. You know, unless there's a part of him that's trapped and what we're seeing is some sort right. of avatar of his. But it seems to hold quite a lot of power, so. And it's interesting because on the the urn that had the Chandrian painted on it, Haliax was surrounded by moons. Mm. You're right. I am. <laughs> I do that sometimes. You do. You do it all the time. No, I don't know. I mean, I thought briefly maybe Aleph, but I'll have to go back and do some more digging into that one. That's what I love about this book. There's a lot to you dig know? into. That's what to me is exciting about these books. So the last chapter is called Lessons, chapter 103, and it's a very short one again. The only thing I wrote is quotes waking mind is at it again sort of him coming up out of that sleeping mind and he just he wants to know more about the language but he and he won't accept that the magic is what it is he's just like but how but but how but you shouldn't be able to grab starlight you know and he almost just Florian says hey would you get that for me you know like hey here hold my beer you know and then five oh you know, um, hey, would you grab that for me? And he is able to briefly grab a piece of the starlight before he realizes what he's doing. And like the apostle who fell in the water, he loses the starlight as soon as he realizes what the hell's going on. And it's just his wake, his his waking mind is is in charge again, and he's not able to, to grasp it. And that's kind of how it ends. All I wrote was. Quoth is rubbish at shade selling. <laughs> he should have spent more time with the Yillish. And at some point, Valerian says to him, you know too much to be happy. Yeah. And we've had that said to him before. Yeah. Yeah, I noted that too. Not the not the first time that's happened. I can tell you back, it's interesting to me because back in like chapter 
99, I thought, okay, Quoth is going to leave. You know, because like 98, he kind of is, they have their little, 97, they have their big battle. 98, they have their little wrap up. He says, but how can I know if I don't go out and experience some life and I'll bring back your song? And then we spend the next four chapters doing it in the woods doing it in the woods and playing with starlight and i'm like okay well i guess i guess he's just gonna hang out for a while you know (laughs) i I mean and and the thing about it is is that he can't just leave i guess he can wait until the moon is full again and then run around at random and hope that he finds one of the half cracked doors because if he wanted to just get up and run out of that tent you know back in chapter 96 he, he wouldn't have been able to go anywhere and and he's kind of got to wait on her to escort him out. Yeah, I get the impression that she can take him out. Cur- yeah, she can take him out. But my point is that he he's still under her power. Right. E- even though she's not really like controlling him mentally or anything, he can't just leave. He doesn't seem to be having too hard of a time with that, though. He doesn't. Honestly. <laughs> He's not in a hurry. I mean, would you? No, and she's like... I mean, you would, because you're married, but... Of course, absolutely, you know. <laughs> she's like, oh, let me make you breakfast. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, would you help me do these dishes real quick? Oh, and you know what? I think I got something up in the attic. Would you mind? <laughs> I can't quite reach it. Would I you... left my scrunchie at your place. Can I come by and get it? Yeah, like she's just coming up with every... I've got to... Hold on. Let me knit you these socks. But she made him a sweet shade. Not yet. I mean, she's working on it. <laughs> she's working on it. She's like, I, I got like three toes done in this sock. You can't leave. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like he's all that itching to leave either. No, though, agreed. Agreed. You know. So, yeah, that was the only thing I kind of noted here at the end. I was like, okay. So, you know, I I expected this to be a shorter thing, and he's just kind of hanging out there. I get the impression he's going to hang out in the Fey world as long as he can and learn as much as he possibly can. And you know what? Good on him because he doesn't know when or if he'll ever be able to come back here again. You know. Now here's my question: Does he come back? If he was a gentleman, he would. <laughs> if he's an idiot, he would. Because <laughs> as he said in the text, there was no, if I came back a second time, I would that never leave. Nope. Never leave. So which makes me think, okay, if he's coat now and he's like, I'm done, I'm ready to die. I thought the same thing. Why not just go, go back? Go back to Florian. <laughs> right? Might as well. Right? Might as well. If you're going to give up anyway. Right? What You know, go out. Go out in style. That's what I would do. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So only makes sense. Okay. So fucking butterfly eyelids. That's that's too much. That's too much. (laughs) All right. So I have I have another game. All right. I have another game for you. So in this one, I am going to say a title, and I need you to tell me if that title is a. One of Felurian's sex moves. <laughs> B, one of the sword forms from Wheel of Time, <laughs> which have just the most random ass names. Or C, an old grindhouse style exploitation film from the 1960s and 70s. Oh, I'm going to crush this. All right. So. At least the Wheel of Time ones. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I tried to make it difficult. So. 
We'll see how well I did. We'll see right. how well I did. All right. So number one here, four flies on gray velvet. Horror film. Good. Yes. Bloody moon. Horror film. Moon rises over water. Sword form. Damn, you're good. Yes. Thousand hands. Sex move. Also, sounds kind of uncomfortable. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. A when thousand a th- is a lot. It's a okay? lot of hands. It's a lot. It's a lot. Of, somebody... It's like a million fingers. <laughs> hey, there's only so many places. I think it's 10,000, but whatever. <laughs> I was never good at math. I was never good at math. It's too late for mathing. So, I mean, somebody in there is going to have a hangnail. Oh, Jesus. Right? <laughs> Remember the old uh, video uh, game Street Fighter? Yeah. There was the one like sumo character. I think his name was Hondo. Uh-huh. And one of his punches is he would go, oh, and his hand would like, you know, it yeah. would be like a thousand. That's what I think of <laughs> yes. when I think a thousand hands. It does not seem comfortable. <laughs> so you are 100% so far. Yes. All right. Bird with crystal plumage. Really? Bird with crystal plumage. Horror film? Correct. Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. Horror film. Correct. Circling the Moon. Sex move. Correct. Arc of the Moon. Sword form. Correct. Yes. Playing Ivy. Sex sex move. Correct. Black Lance's Last Strike. Black Lance's Last Strike. Horror film. First, is it a sword form? It's a sword form. Oh, First it was mistake. between those two. I didn't recognize it, though. Drawing water from the well. Sex move. Yes. The Great Silence. Horror film. Correct. Lone Wolf and Cub. Horror film. Correct. The Mad Foxes. The Mad Foxes? hmm Horror film. Correct. Lion on the Hill. Sword form. Damn, you're good at this. One mistake. Ah, thanks. Bravo. I would not have done so well. I did not study. <laughs> I mean, I would have done well in this one. I've just read Wheel of Time a lot. <laughs> All right, so time for predictions. <laughs> Predict it up. I only got one prediction because you you destroyed my other prediction with your. I'm sorry. Daring just, feats I, of logic. <laughs> I just I couldn't like. I couldn't let that. Go on any further. Oh, I appreciate you rescuing me. Listeners, the whole time he was talking, I just was shaking my head. And I wouldn't shut he up anyway. He just kept going, and I was just going, no, no, stop, no, stop, just stop. <laughs> so I only got- There's no yellish knots. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. I only got one prediction, and it's that the 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 biggest shaper, the baddest mother shaper of them all- The maddest mother shaper. Is located in behind the stone door in the Lackless family compound. That's a good prediction. That's it. Yeah, it's my only prediction. It's my onlyest predictions for call this her time. The, call him the baddest mother shaper. The baddest mother shaper of them all. <laughs> Say <Hush> show enough. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the baddest mother shaper of them all? Is this show gonna hold? That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's what I got. Nice. Okay. Uh, listener questions? Anything? 
Uh, we got some got some interactions. Give me one second here. All right, going back and taking a look, we had Izzy Kennedy who said, I'm trying to understand the Duke's casting for Tempe. Are we thinking of the same John Goodman? <laughs> Thank yes. you, Izzy. Yes, we are. Thank you. The exact same John Goodman. Someone is thinking of John Goodman. So Daryl Mansell at Sea Delicious said, have faith in this Dune movie. The director, Dennis V, has a flawless track record, and he's the guy making Blade Runner 2049. So I'll have to check. And I, I saw the trailers for that, and it looked really good. So I'm excited for the new Dune. Yeah. So so a, a good reason to uh, to keep to keep positive here. Uh, Patrick Sponagle said, uh, "Got to hear my shout out at the end of the podcast episode where Quoth is getting ready to head to Traben." He said, uh, "You guys pronounce my name better than I do. Well done." <laughs> In our last uh, episode, we talked about the Jacks and the House situation where he had the incomplete house, uh, Ian James Crone said, the house is clearly the university. So mm. not not one of the symbols that I had thought of. He also said, the masters know how to do combat sympathy. They just don't teach it openly. But he does say that Elksadal does teach a little bit of offensive sympathy. Indeed. I would agree. Yeah, that's true. I'm not 100% certain how to pronounce this name. Dreidile? Dreidel? Not sure. It's D-R-E-D-I-L-E. And uh, says, nice page and podcast, guys. Why, thank you. That's right, yeah. So Theo noted, um, he said, glad you guys noted the Tinker's offer of the boot wax. I marked this out myself when he was walking around with wet boots. And then... He said he didn't consider the bad guy last time as anything other than just an arcanist. He expected that the recognizing him thing was like a mellow and lackless thing. So maybe like the brother of an of another known character or maybe like Dagon or something along those lines, which the more I think about my prediction from last time of the Chandrian, the harder it is for me to continue to believe that. But at the same point in time, like, I really don't have a better alternative. There's so many things about it that seem like it has to be a Chandrian. The language around when he recognizes the praying going on, I mean, it's damn near word for word from the chapter Hope. Well, and certainly doesn't seem like anyone human with the way he reacts to being shot with an arrow. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so the idea that it was Dagon seems doesn't seem accurate either so not, not to mention the fact that he disappeared into a tent before a tree fell on it and didn't even leave so much as a hangnail right right so just even more perplexed about that and then theo and i had a quite a long conversation about music and turns out i'm not going to mention it because he hasn't uh said that i could or should but turns out he's quite the musician himself so and we watched some of his videos over and over again on YouTube. So if yes, he, they were funny. If Loved he, it. if he says we can give give that out and or that we should, then we will definitely do that because it was it was quite worth the worth the watching. The other thing he said, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce this. He said, "The queef is the most metal of all the flatulent." Should be your Latin house motto. <laughs> yes. And then he and then he translated it Shut in up. Latin. Shut and I wrote it down. I don't I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm going to do my best. Inflationibus in omni metallo quango est. <laughs> that is the best thing that has happened to me all day. <laughs> I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation, but 
You know, my response to him was, well, now that you've given us the translation, we sure as hell will. I need a new T-shirt. Right? <laughs> I've been looking to do a new uh, new logo anyway. We need a new logo. Yeah. The other thing he talked about, he said, what was the deal with the wall? If they could put a wall up like that, why would they ever take it down? Which is a valid point and not really one I had thought about. I don't know. Maybe it's a pain in the ass to get around it. That's kind of the only thing I could think of, too. But it is a little bit strange. Not quite sure what that was all about. And then Adam at LFC, Adam 8815. Let me see if I got that right. Yep. Um, he said now that he's he's got some Ikea bookshelves called Lack, and he says now he is no longer Lackless. Nice. And I thought that was humorous. We went we went on for quite a while a about that pun. one. You you got to. You have to. And then the last one is Ian James Crone. We talked about the fantasy casting for Felurian, and he said uh, Ava Green is the only valid choice. Mm, I could definitely see her. Is she the one who was Miss Peregrine? Miss Peregrine. And also in Penny Dreadful, I think. I don't think I ever saw Penny Dreadful. I only see all a few episodes of it. I I think she's I think it's the same actress. So I have no opinion. I have no opinion whatsoever. So really, that, no. You're, you're just kind of saying that, or you really have no opinion. I'm staying in character. I'm sorry. Okay, will you tell me later? <laughs> I honestly haven't really thought of it. Okay. I mean, if I, you know, if I'm gonna, no, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not touching it. <laughs> <laughs> not happening so no that that's really all that i've got so if you want to help out the podcast we haven't said this in a while we love to get itunes reviews we really love them it tickles our fancy it really does we like it the other thing we like more though is just word of mouth because we are a very very niche podcast so the only way we're going to get people to find out about us is if you share us, share us on social media, talk to your friends at the water cooler, maybe, you know, put out, uh, take some of your company's marketing budget and buy us a billboard on 95, something like that. <laughs> you know, that's all we ask. Not too much. You know, tell a friend. You can find us at the Duke and Duchess podcast dot com. Also on Twitter at the D&D podcast and on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. And that's all we have. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>